Exactly, and that's the exact point. We have to customize learning as much as possible for our students. We just can't use a cookie cutter approach anymore. So putting as many tools in the toolbox for our teachers is really important in our staff development because they have to walk in just like a doctor and make a diagnosis of what this patient, what this student needs. And the more tools they have in their toolbox, the better they can serve that student and get that student back on track. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. And before we get started with this week's episode, a little bit of news. Want to remind you that our Elevation Scholarship is now accepting applications. We are awarding five $2,000 scholarships to deserving English learners to support their higher education. That application period runs from now until May 14th. So go to elevationeducation.com slash ELL community for more details. You can also find the link in our show notes. Thanks and good luck to all of those students who are applying. What data can be used to measure learning loss in English learners and what long-term impacts are most pressing? How is technology being used to accelerate learning for English learners and to empower students to continue their learning outside of class? How can building out robust STEM programs motivate students to develop foundational skills? We discuss these questions and much more with Dr. Adrian Johnson, Superintendent of Schools in Hearn ISD in Texas. Dr. Johnson is a regular contributor to Elevation's ELL community. He has appeared on the In This Together docuseries, as well as other episodes of Highest Aspirations. Dr. Johnson brings the important perspective of how rural school districts are working to best support their English learners, a perspective that is obviously very important to us and to our listeners. With that being said, here is our latest conversation with Dr. Adrian Johnson. Dr. Adrian Johnson, welcome back uh, to Highest Aspirations. You are such a, an integral member of our In This Together docuseries, and it's great to have you back and catch up, see what's going on uh, down in Hearn. Well, Steve, it's great to be back, and I'm glad to catch up what's going on in Hearn, and it's pretty similar to what's been going on in Texas and around the country, but we're still here and we're still moving forward. Yeah, despite many challenges, the pandemic only being one of them, and we'll we'll get into some of those. Um, so we're really we're going to center this conversation around a topic that has received a lot of attention and um, is also sort of not immune to a little bit of uh, of tension, which is the term learning loss. I know some people are using the term quite a bit; others uh, are using other terms, but uh, it's something that people are definitely concerned about. So my first question is. You know, coming from your perspective uh, as a rural district um, in Texas, what what indications do you have that this is occurring, learning loss or whatever it is that you want to call it, um, and, and what resources are you using to identify um, and mitigate that that problem? Yes, uh, the, the the topic of learning loss has been used quite a bit in this area, uh, interruption and instruction and other phrases that have been used as well. But whatever you want to call it, we know that when we have our students uh, not in school, not in face-to-face, and especially our EL students are not in face-to-face instruction, it makes it really more difficult for them to practice and use the language. Right. You know, language development is really, uh, it's, it's about practicing. Uh, whether you're trying to learn a new language uh, that you want to have, or if you're trying to learn the language of the country you're living in, it takes practice. And what we've noticed is from mostly, first of all, from personal observations, 
that's what we use the most to identify the, the evidence of learning loss. Just as we get to interact with the students more, we can see that their language skills have not developed at the pace they, should, they were developing when we were in in-person learning. We're now at a point where we're probably seeing from 60 to 75 percent of our students in person and we can just observe that there's been some learning language loss because uh, language development is based off the ability to interact with other people and connect words and language with uh, areas that you're actually studying or working on and when our students who have been isolated to their homes uh, to maybe pause that don't use the English language as frequently as we do in the public schools, it's become much more difficult for them to practice using the language like they would do normally in a school setting. Mm -hmm. And there are some, you mentioned resources, there are some resources, there's resources that we worked with called uh, DynEd has been a, a, a good resource to help measure the amount of EL uh, students and loss that they may be experiencing. And then another program I'm inter, uh, familiar with called Intervene does a good job in working collaboratively with Telpass to make sure you're measuring the, and, and finding the learning losses taking place. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned those personal uh, sort of observations when you have 60 to 70 percent of, of students back. You know, you're able, it's an interesting situation where when they come back, you're now able to kind of I guess, slowly figure out what they're missing. And, you know, you're focusing a lot on the language loss piece, which I think is really important. And, and we're not only talking about formal opportunities to practice, but also just those informal interactions that students get in the hallways or in the cafeteria um, and everything else. When we focus on English learners, that's certainly been something that, that folks have been talking about. I want to, I want to re- like push you a little bit on this question, because I, I just read an article this morning um, from the 74 Uh, The title is Analysis, Learning Loss Update, District Quiet on How They Plan to Help Students Recover from a Year of Continued Disruption. To be fair, this this article was written uh, about large urban districts, but sort of the the main takeaway for me of the article was that, as you just mentioned, uh, we know that it's happening. Uh, Districts know that it's happening, but they've been sort of quiet about particularly how they're going to spend some of the funds that are coming in to mitigate that problem. Is that a result of just kind of from your perspective, is that a result of just kind of trying to figure out what it is that needs to be done still? Is it a result of figuring out how to use the funds? I mean, what, what I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but what, what reaction do you have to that sort of headline and takeaway that I just gave you from your perspective? Well, my, my reaction is basically the, the headline that you just described for, for me and in, in our district is really irrelevant. Uh, we're, yes, instruction has been interrupted, but the whole issue of language learning is because of one, maybe an interruption of the fact that you're going to, you come into a new country or a place to learn a language. And so you were all, you know, I don't, I don't get into the slide and interruption. We were already climbing towards improving our language development skills and that process got interrupted. So if you're trying to get better, you know, I can't get better ducking the basketball because I'm, at a point where I can't jump any higher. Right. I can get in better shape, but I can get better at free throws because I can practice those every day. Well, language is something that you can practice. And what we want to do with our students is practice language more. So yes, 
I was thinking about that today. If we do get additional funding, I want to hire more staff to give students more opportunities to engage in language development in the classroom and with assistance and aids from technology and individuals in the classroom to help them move forward. And we want to try to get as many minutes out of the school day as possible. And sometimes technology can help us maximize our time on task and increase our time on task. But, you know, I'm looking at a current event today in Texas about what's going on on our border and that students are migrating, children are migrating here. Mm -hmm. I would think the time they spent migrating, there's been an interruption in their language. So when they do get the fortune, uh, the ability to get in our schools, there's going to be an interruption. There's been an interruption. So we are used to working with yeah. students that have vast amounts of interruption in learning. So now when you look at the students that are here that have had an interruption in learning for the past year, we're going to keep doing the things that have worked. Now, the good news is technology and programs are getting better at helping to measure the language loss and helping us to increase and intensify the language learning development process. And then there's nothing like extra people having personal relationship with these kids to help them develop language faster. And that's what we have to do. Yeah, I really appreciate that that answer and that candid response. I mean, the the you know you're talking about bringing in people and leveraging technology to kind of maximize um, impact on these students. And what I really love about your answer is, you know, I I don't think we talk about this enough. You all down there and in many other places as well, to be fair, are dealing with interrupted education all the time. I mean, students with interrupted formal education, cipher, life students. These are students we talk about all the time. So we can certainly apply the lessons we've learned and the strategies that we use for those students, particularly when it comes to language learning, to what is happening now with all students as a result of uh, of COVID and the pandemic and the interruptions associated with that. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't seen surprisingly a lot on that. That's a really interesting concept. And I think something that we could kind of focus on another time uh, because I think that's, that's, that's really interesting. And, and then the last thing that you got into was you start, started to mention kind of the idea of figuring out diagnosing sort of where students are. And that's, that's kind of my, my next question. I mean, I, I don't know what data you have available to diagnose sort of these gaps for English learners, whether it's the same data that you've used before, whether you actually have it. I mean, every district is in a different place and it's kind of been challenging. So my question is, have you been able to access and then organize and make sense of the data that you need to kind of diagnose where students are? Um, if so, what does it tell you? And if not, what, what's missing? Well, the, the data we've been looking at, I've, I've been somewhat critical of it because it, it hasn't been consistent. And, and once that data I looked at, the students, what we call um, a mid-year diagnostic test, just to see where they are. Or, or let me take that back, a beginning of the year. So as we were getting students back into uh, more in-person instruction, we moved from uh, 30, 40% to 50% to 60%. And we're getting, you know, beginning of year data. And then we came back and we wanted to see how much more, and, and they did pretty good at, at an initial testing. Uh, the learning loss was there, but it wasn't as profound as we originally thought it would be. But then we came back and we tested again. And we call this the mid-year assessment. And the data was even was worse than it was the first time. But then when we started peeling down and looking at the data, 
the numbers, the same, the cohorts were, were different that we were testing. One was larger, one was a smaller group of students. And the interruption over the holidays, you know, we'd normally get two weeks off for Christmas, but it ended up being four weeks when we looked at the possibility of the spread and issues. So we had to close down a little bit more than we originally had thought we were. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, I came away from this data that we're just rushing the data a little too much. Let's give ourselves time. Let's give the data chance, the students a chance to really adjust and get a more accurate reading. But we can already pretty much assume because of the inter interruption and the different type of instruction that learning loss has taken place. So um, that that's not unusual. And, and when you're dealing with EL students, we're constantly evaluating new students to our district because EL is a very mobile migratory student. Sure. So we're always measuring where they are when they enter our schools and where they are if they have to be leaving our schools or go to another school. So that's not unusual. We will keep monitoring that, but I think it's a little premature to put a lot of uh, emphasis around data right now. We just must assume EL, all students have had a major interruption in learning and we have to start climbing, helping them climb back to where they were and get beyond in the future. Right. Yeah, and it seems like, and, and jump in if I'm wrong here, it seems like, you know, you're going to need data not only to find out what's going on in, in a large scale, but you're going to need it to be able to sort of personalize for specific students or groups of students that may be sort of struggling with different pieces of, of, of the puzzle as they come back. Yeah, and it's, and it's just a lot different uh, approach, obviously, from the younger students to the older students. Uh, the older students, uh, because of a lot of other factors, uh, we've got to work really quickly to get them to a level of comfort where they can have a chance to continue their education, to get a good job. And, and, the, and the beauty of, of, of the language development is that as you move up your ability to speak, in this case, the English language, but yet maintain the, your home, your native language, the, the value of your ability goes up tremendously if you're confident in both languages. Yeah, yep. So that challenge to help these students improve their English skills is also being supported by, and we don't forget their ability to stay bilingual at the same time, uh, could be a tremendous, can take a negative and make it a very strong positive for them. Yeah, another really good point. And that's not like a, that's not a small silver lining. I mean, you have students who are now using their native languages way more than they would have had they been in school. Um, and assuming that they had some, you know, grasp of English and or that they're going to get the services they need to bring it back, that that could be could result in some in some net positives over time. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, another another really important uh, issue that might deserve kind of its own, its own conversations. Um, Thinking long term, um, I'm just curious what you know. Before we kind of move on to to a kind of a separate topic here, what what are you? What are the one to two things you're most concerned about in terms of of long term impacts here? You seem pretty optimistic about the ability to kind of deal with these challenges. They're, they're real, but it seems like you have you know ideas to to deal with them. But what what in the long term has you concerned? I, I figure I, I figure the most the. Uh the lowered, the limited use of English, the language during this time will have a, a negative impact on our students, especially as I was saying earlier on their chances to 
get good employment, get into college, things of that nature. I, I'm, I'm really worried about the older students because, you know, they're getting ready to come out of the system. Right. Whereas with my younger students, I still have time to get them caught up in the system. So I'm really worried about them and their lower exposure to English uh, and impact in their, their, their English development levels of the language acquisition. And, and, and really it's, it's two simple things, listening and speaking. That's, that's, that's what it really comes down to, listening and understanding what I'm saying, even though I may not be very clear right now, and speaking, communicating effectively. Those are the most obvious ones and, and, and where there was, it's, it's the interview process or yeah. it's the application process. That's what we really wanna work on. And so what we will be trying to do with our students that are at the highest level, closest to graduating, our seniors and, and hope we've done enough good work with them that they were already prepared to take move to the next level. But we will do everything we can with the programs we have to help them make up some of the learning loss they may have experienced during this pandemic. And then of course, with the younger students, we have a little more time mm -hmm. to take advantage of it. But you asked me what my biggest concern is, is that group that is about to step out into the job market and to careers and make sure we give them as many career opportunities as we can with the time we have left and it give them much language development for listening and speaking with the time we have left. Yep. Communication. I mean, that's how you're going to get to know who, who people are and what they're able to do. And, you know, you could, you could kind of put that almost even in the soft skills realm that are so kind of important when you're interviewing. I think that's a really good example um, to give. And, and, you know, I think you put it in perspective in terms of those older students, making sure that, that we can do the best we can for them. And I'm, I'm guessing that that's similar in other districts as well. Um, also, I appreciate your 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 focus on on the language um, throughout the sort of first half of this of this conversation, um, and you know I, I want to shift over to kind of to, to content, but I, there's a language component there as well, so we won't sort of leave language behind. Um, so you you've talked a lot about the language challenges. I want to I want to shift over a little bit, but the gold standard really is has always been to fuse together content and language. You're learning both at the same time; they're not separated. Um, that, in some cases, has already been a challenge in many districts, even districts that have been doing this for a long time. Um, is it even possible in the situation that we are now? And what what ingredients do you think we need to have in place to make that happen? I mean, how have you gone about doing that or have you? Well, that's something we, we talk about constantly. And I agree with you. Uh, it is the gold standard. And we just we firmly believe learning words and concepts in isolation is not a productive use of instructional time in the school setting. It's, it, it, you know, I, I hate to say this, but that's old school, uh, learning in the words and, and concepts in isolation. Now, uh, there, there are certainly uh, uh, programs that are helping us move faster and better to make instruction better. And, and, and I believe, we believe, technology use in the classroom will help expedite that process. Uh, you know, at a, there used to be a time and, and probably still is some places where we used to take up devices when kids walk into the room, you know, give us your cell phone, give us this, give us that. Uh, let's, let's turn this off and focus on just listening to me talk. 
which is not one of the most effective ways to improve the language development. But there, there are better models now and programs that help teachers and students learn together using devices. And again, I think the devices can help us help students, you know, from writing down things on that they might be experiencing or hearing, checking it with the phone. The same thing I do when I'm trying to navigate where to get, how to get somewhere. I sure. Yeah. Figure out where I need to go and how I need to get there. And the same thing can be true for the language development. Using those devices will help them uh, get better definitions. You know, what we don't want to see happen is that people are sitting there struggling with their language development in the content area they're working in and, and, and just shut down, just totally shut down. And, and that's what we want to try to avoid. So yes, it's the gold standard, but we should always be going for the goal. And, and I want our teachers, uh, I, they use the Freer model uh, to work on syllable sections and other programs that are out there that help them work collectively with the classroom and with technology and with language acquisition all together. Yeah, you know, you're talking about, uh, I think, academic language in particular being the key to unlock content. And without it, you're going to have what you called frustration, you know, a student sitting there and not being able to access that content, even though they may be perfectly able to understand it in their in their own language, which, you know, which, which, which opens the door for uh, a lot of um, technology and certainly expertise in teaching um, to help that out. And I think we'll see Certainly, from 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 my perspective, I'm seeing a lot of work being done both here, you know, at Elevation and in lots of other places as well to kind of make that happen. Hi, everyone. I'm Teddy Rice, president and co-founder of Elevation. The Highest Aspirations podcast was created to keep you informed and inspired around the issues that matter most to the students you serve. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you about how we can help strengthen your EL program. Reach out to us anytime at info at elevationeducation.com to set up a time to chat. Now, back to highest aspirations. And and with all that, you know, the kind of next ingredient and flowing into the next topic here is, you know, your teachers now need to be prepared to kind of work differently. So, you know, we, we've discussed professional development, I think, intensely in, the, in this together, Dr. We've talked a lot about it with you and others. Um, but curious to see, you know, how that has evolved since we've last talked. I mean, have you been thinking about how professional development might actually help identify and mitigate learning loss that, as you've said, so many that you're concerned about with your English learners? I mean, what's the role of professional development here? Yeah, I, and I think so. And I think it actually ties back into what we were just talking about. One of the roles is, is again, and I don't want to overuse the word technology, but um, we, we've invested a lot in it, and I think it's going to be very effective in helping us uh, help students get there. Uh, you know, one of the things that we were training our, our staff on is how to help students develop a mindset of the responsibility of continuing their education, personally continuing your education. And you can do that very effectively with the use of technology especially for our older students. As they spend more and more time or less time with us in person during this pandemic, we've tried to encourage them how to use technology to continue to improve their personal learning. And we want them to take that with them, just like 
I said earlier, we take things with us to help us when we don't know how to get someplace, we use technology to help us to get there. And so we want to instill that in the learning system with our teachers and with our students working together. Uh, using the different programs that you have in your state, in Texas, we have a system called Telpass. It's a it's an excellent way to helping teachers identify where their students are in their in their EL development strands, and it's it's difficult to tell teachers exactly what the students are needing without some kind of data to give them some right. direction where they need to go, and so that's what we try to tailor our staff development to in working across different grade levels horizontally, making sure that the programs we're working at one level are helping the students to get to the next level when they move up the grade level. So uh, we run a lot of programs through our, our TELPASS results and using those results to decide, design how uh, lessons should flow and development should take place for our students. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, the first step here is, is making sure that uh, that teachers have access to that to that data, to that data, and they know sort of what it means, and then they can decide sort of the, the proper way to sort of personalize learning for each group of students. Is that my own track there? Exactly, and that's the exact point. You know, we have to customize learning as much as possible for our students. We just can't use a cookie cutter approach anymore. So putting as many tools in the toolbox of our teachers is really important in our staff development because they have to walk in just like a doctor and make a diagnosis of what this patient, what this student needs. Yep. And the more tools they have in their toolbox, the better they can serve that student and get that student back on track, which may be a little different than the student they're sitting next to and what they may need. Sure. Because language development is not going to always be like a chorus. Everybody's going to be in line and need to learn the next step. Some people are going to be a little bit more advanced because of the experiences they've had at home or and their learning ability. Others are going to need a little more time because they're they're nervous, they're intimidated. Sometimes language development is a very uh, personal issue for staff right, right. and for students. And so you have to be very careful with that because uh, I'll, I'll share with you uh, a story that I heard from uh, one of our parents, how they uh, was in a class and, and there was a word that came up and, and it was drawer, drawer. And, and she stopped in class to ask, what does that mean? And was laughed at and that created a real sensitiveness in this individual. Now imagine this, Steve, they never asked another question. They learned how to just figure things out on them, them their own, the hard way, but that one incident really slowed their development and their ability to learn. And then they found a way to work around it, but how many people will have, kids will have that same attitude? So that's so important in this process is that it's so personal. We want to have very skilled people and create a climate where it's okay to ask questions or okay for a student to know how to use the device to get the answer. Yeah, you know, it strikes me that example and everything you said before it, it's like you have to have, and I think you use like kind of a, a, an example with a doctor or a medical example, and I'll, I'll kind of continue with that. You, you have to be able to, have a long-term strategy 
as to how to treat, you know, the students that you're working with over time and the treatment here being, you know, make sure that language is, is, is improving, but you also need to be able to deal with like acute moments, like learning opportunities or challenges, like the ones that you just mentioned. So you have to kind of be able to triage, right? And it's Mm -hmm. that structure and agency piece, like the professional development is going to provide those teachers, hopefully with the structure that they need, as you mentioned, being able to access the data, make sense of it so that they can make informed decisions, but they're not so stuck on one rail, right? Where they have to go one way the entire time. And I think that's both like the opportunity and the challenge, right? Exactly. You're you're absolutely right. It's and, and that's the challenge and, and, and the, the, the better trained our teachers and staff become in knowing how to identify challenges students are facing with good data and good information that programs and systems can bring to them and then what to do about it will be a tremendous asset to these students. But it comes back to the fact that this is a human service industry. And it's your ability to relate to students and what many of our outstanding teachers do that have a they're well grounded in EL and other components of education that they identify these students and know what they need at the right time and are there building that personal relationship as well as that instructional relationship with the students. Yeah, great point. And we're back to square one there. And I always like to come back to square one because when we first started this whole thing, when it happened, everybody was saying, we need to make sure these students are taken care of and we have relationships with them and their families so that we can do everything else. And it's heartwarming that it always comes back to that. We're talking about data now, you know, and like, yeah. and like it comes still comes back to that personal relationship, which I, I think is, is such important. And I, I, so important in the human services industry part of it. I, I love that. Um, so I want to I want to start to wrap up with with a bit a more kind of specific question. A lot of the research, uh, particularly with English learners, is pointing to um, big challenges uh, when it comes to gaps in math and particularly in STEM classes, but particularly in math. J- just wanted to get your perspective there. What are some of the challenges your teachers have faced in in STEM courses, and how have you gone about confronting them? Is that a problem that you're seeing? Is there more there than say other subjects? Yeah, there, there's there's more there. Um, when I've talked to my teachers and my uh, leaders in, in instruction, especially in the English language areas in preparation for this podcast, uh, what they've told me is that many of our students are lacking some of the basic skills. Our, our students are still memorizing multiplication tables and things of that nature. And and to really get to the STEM level, you got to move up the the, the learning process, you know, more than just recall. Bloom's taxonomy would require you to get to a higher level of thinking. And you can't do that without going and making sure the foundation is there for the students to make that step up. So unfortunately, uh, but fortunately, we recognize that and we're working really hard to help our students get a stronger foundation, especially in the middle grade levels, so that as we introduce the STEM programs and opportunities, we will see these students benefit from a stronger foundation and be able to get to the next level. I'm really proud to say that in our small rural school, we're competing with robotics with our junior high students with larger school districts around the state and being very effective because we had a teacher that took an interest in the STEM program and how to make it more realistic and endurable and entertaining. And you would be so pleased to see the number of EL students that are participating on our robotics team. 
So it can be done, but you have to make sure that foundation is there to help the students to get to the next level. But that's the kind of training we're doing with our staff and the kind of programs we're introducing. And then in STEM is important also because it makes those multiplication memorization of those, those numbers more fun to work with mm -hmm. than just, you know, doing your 12 timetables uh, from memory. Yeah. Gives you How reason. do you apply that? That application can be really important and motivating to students and to the staff as well. So we're working on that. It's going to be a slower process because we have to get the foundation there first. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I love that you brought up the robotics example because, you know, Stephen Fleener, who's in Texas, I think he's out of Austin. He's um, with Sidelots Education. We've spoken with him a few times and he, he's, he's a, uh, an expert in STEM and English learners. And he argues that English learners are uniquely positioned to succeed um, in, in STEM courses, given the right tools. Uh, right. And, and the right tools are not sort of rotely memorizing memorization tables, right? They're things like what you're talking about, which is hands-on learning um, and access to, uh, to what they need um, to be able to kind of get to that position. So that's great. Love the robotics example. And I wish you all uh, the best of luck with that, because I think that's really exciting. It must be nice for students to be able to do that, especially now. Um, okay, so what we what we haven't mentioned yet, and what you told me when we before we clicked the record button, is that you've had challenges other than just the pandemic. I mean, you've had to shut the school down because of flooding because of the historic storms you had in Texas, uh, that affected lots of folks. Um, so I think that's going to influence that my last question for you. Um, because you're out of school now, from what I understand, or at least some of them are, and you're coming back in the fall. So what is your vision now, given everything that we've discussed um, of going back to school? Well, my vision is, and, and my goal, I remember one of our, one of our first uh, podcasts, we, we, we started counting how many times we used the word pivot. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, because of that uh, winter storm, Yuri, uh, we had a major pipe burst in one of our high school that flooded our high school with over four inches of water throughout our high school and gym. And so, yes, that facility is pretty much shut down right now, and it's been shut down since the, the middle of February. But the good thing is uh, we're at the part of the year where we do a lot of testing, benchmarking, as well as other tests to see where students are. In, in reference to finish up the year for graduation, things of that nature. So we've counted, we've got about 10 weeks of school left and about four of those weeks are gonna be spent testing. And then you know what school is like the last few weeks of school of the school year anyway, it's always sure do. a lot of fun. So unfortunately we won't be able to do uh, the in-person instruction as much at the high school as we'd like to, but we were able to pivot because now we really do have a platform like the colleges have we had the platform in place. And so we just immediately went to virtual learning as much as possible. But we are using the state has given us the opportunity to work with students in these unique program areas like robotics, like athletics, like co-curricular. So uh, uh, our career technology center is still open. And we're hoping to get some of our facility back before the year is over so we can do more in-person instruction. But we've had to use that uh, technology that we developed last spring to help us this spring and in and, and our students uh, being exposed to that and teachers being exposed to it, we moved to it pretty quickly. But we try to do it because of spring now and because of the, where we are with the, the, the mitigation of the virus, more people, our staff is getting vaccinated. 
uh, and feeling more comfortable, we are actually having more in-person interaction with our students outside of the typical classroom, along with continuing our virtual instruction to, for the content areas as we move forward. But we, we'll, we'll keep working through these challenges. It's just gonna make us stronger in the end, but we're gonna make sure our students get as many opportunities as possible to have engaging experiences the last semester of the school year. Great, and I'm sure that you are knowing you doing everything you can to make that happen. And there are challenges, but there are also silver linings to those challenges. We've mentioned lots of them today. Um, and uh, really just, just appreciate your uh, willingness to come back. I know you're really busy right now and tell us what's going on uh, at Hearn. Uh, it seems like a lot of the, the challenges that you're facing are challenges that are being faced in lots of other districts that are similar and very different than yours. And so kind of, I think we're all uh, in this together still and, and we're, we're, we're learning from one another um, and really appreciate you coming on. It was good to catch up with you and um, good luck as you begin to, it's hard to believe, close out the, the school year. Thank you, Steve. It was good to be back and visit with you again and, and talking about some very important issues for our students and for our families. Uh, it helps to talk about it. I learned from these experiences with you and from listening to your other, my other colleagues from around the country share their experiences as well. And hope all everybody will just work together and keep stay connected because if you have a good idea, please share it so that we can all help our students because yes, we are all in this together and we're going to get through this together as well. Well said. Thanks, Dr. Justin. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.